Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. Dressed listeners, the 2022 Academy Awards are only a few days away. And I, for one, cast must admit that I have only seen three, very sadly, Only three of the films nominated for Best Picture this year. I mean, usually I do a lot better. Like, usually I've seen at least like three quarters of them. So this year is a little bit of a mea culpa. But that definitely does not mean that I will not be tuning in on this coming Sunday to watch the 94th Academy Awards. So what about you, Cass? Have you seen a lot or many of the Best Picture nominees? Um, I'm not like I think about at 50%. I don't I don't know which ones you saw. I saw Coda, which I loved, which was so good. King Richard was Mm -hmm. really good. Still getting through West Side Story. (laughs) I've done I've done West Side Story. I've done Dune. Uh, Licorice Pizza is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I haven't seen Licorice Pizza. I have seen Dune and I have to tell you my story about Dune because I actually one of my favorite films that I ever worked on when I was a costumer was on Sicario and Denis Villeneuve, who's the director of Dune, was the director. He was the most lovely man I've ever met in film. And so I had the pleasure of working with him on that. And then Bob Morgan is another dear costumer friend who was the costume designer on Dune. And he was a co-costume designer with Jacqueline West, and they are both nominated for Oscars. There you go. Yeah. Here we go, friends. It all comes <laughs> back together. Yeah. Circle. So, <laughs> I know. And I'll definitely be watching Academy Awards this Sunday to see Bob hopefully take home an Oscar. He's so deserving. He's been doing it for so many years and the costumes are just incredible in that film. So dress listeners, will you be joining us? I'm tuning sure in on Sunday. <laughs> so many of them will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and arguably it is one of the most important events, as we said on Tuesday's episode for the fashion industry. In 2019, nearly 30 million people watched the Oscars, which provided this incredible amount of publicity for fashion brands, dressing stars for red carpet and on stage appearances. Yeah, and you know, historically speaking, what stars have worn to the Oscars has not necessarily been a promotional opportunity for fashion labels in the past. And we're going to delve into that a little bit further. This week, entertainment writer and cultural critic Esther Zuckerman joins us to discuss her book, Beyond the Best Dressed, A Cultural History of the Most Glamorous, Radical, and Scandalous Oscar Fashion. Yeah, so today's episode is part two of that conversation that we started with Esther on Tuesday. Esther, welcome back. Okay, so we've kind of been on this political tip for a second in terms of how fashion was functioning as kind of like activism or politics at the time. I would like to talk about the last part of the subtitle of your book, which is scandalous. (laughs) I bet a lot of our listeners have waiting for this little bit. There have been many scandalous appearances for what was worn on the red carpet, or perhaps I should say not 
worn on the red carpet because a lot of this has to do with more than a few attendees have really embraced an eyebrow-raising level of nudity. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them intentional, some of them not intentional. So can we start with Barbara Streisand in 1969? What did she wear and how was it, as you write, part Wednesday Adams and part Studio 54? <laughs> so Barbara famously wore an Arnold Scazzi, um, designer at the time, this cute little pantsuit situation with a white collar. She really wanted the white collar bow, but and it was shimmery. Uh, she didn't realize that in that shimmer, it was also sheer, which means you saw um, her tuchus. Everything. When she uh, went to go take the stage. But Barbara being Barbara sort of knew she was playing around. She said later that, you know, I mean, she was so young at the time. It was really her entry into Hollywood. She was already a massive star because of Funny Girl, what she won for and the recording and all of that. But this was, you know, this was her feature film debut. It was sort of how she was being introduced. Um, But she thought like, I'm going to be there again. So I'm going to have fun with it, Um, which is sort of, I think you can only be com- that confident if you're Barbara Streisand. And she was, she, she won again. Um, so <laughs> for writing the music for her version of the star is born. So you can get away with that. And I think it's, it's so late sixties, but it's very swinging sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Huge bell bottoms. Like, you know, the outfit itself is very covered up, right? From like a little round collar with a little demure, like white collar. She has flouncy cuffs. She has on bell bottoms. Like she's covered, except for her outfit is completely sheer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a little sparkly too, I think. Like it had some shimmer. Very sparkly. Yeah. So perhaps the most well known exhibitionist at the Oscars has to be Cher. And you do talk about one of her specific looks that she wore at the Oscars when she won Best Actress in 1988. But this was not the first time that she had donned barely their red carpet looks. Would you tell us a little bit about Cher's Oscar choices over the course of the years, starting really honestly in the 1960s? Yeah, I mean, she'd been going to Oscars for years with first sort of with Sonny Bono um, and then more in her sort of acting career. The transition from 88 is when she won for Moonstruck. She wore Bob Mackie. Um, and again, sort of similar to Streisand is like, if it wasn't sheer, it would look like just sort of a normal standard glamorous gown, but it was sheer and it was sheer. I didn't mean for that sort of <laughs> internal rhyme, but that's what Bob Mackie told me. It was like, you know, it was this very sort of almost 20s style look that if it was opaque, you know, it wouldn't, no one would have raised an eyebrow, but Two years before she wasn't nominated, she thought she was going to be nominated for the Peter Bogdanovich film Mass. They asked her to present anyway, and she just decided to basically go, fuck you. And she had Bob Mackie design what is sort of her most famous Oscar outfit, which is this giant headdress with a, I mean, I don't even want to say it's midriff bearing because it's basically torso bearing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it is everything. And it's sort of, it 
has these sort of almost teeth like hems that are it, it is it is sort of it is Oscars by way of Vegas showgirl and it rules. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like a very Vegas showgirl, but was like slightly more close. And she was basically like, screw you for not nominating me. I'm going to come up. Um, I'm going to do me. Honestly, this is my big hope for this year is that Gaga is going to take that spirit. And because she wasn't nominated for House of Gucci, is going to like come out in some, and but she is presenting and it's going to come out in some sort of like old fashioned. Crazy get up. <laughs> yeah. Like her, whatever. I don't think she's going to do that because I think Gaga does actually care too much uh, what the Academy thinks about her, but that's my hope. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Cause I was going to ask you, and I think I, I'm going to ask you again at the end of the interview. I want to know more about what after doing all this work, I want to know more about what you're hoping to see yeah. this year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So absolutely, without a doubt, the most body revealing attendee to the Oscars over the years has to be Edie Williams. I was completely unfamiliar with Williams before I read your book and her Oscar antics over the years. So tell us about her and how she has been engaging with the press on the red carpet at the Oscars for years and years, honestly. So Edie Williams is probably best known for the Russ Meyer, who is sort of known as a sort of sexploitation director. She used to be married to him, um, and she's best known for one of his films called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is sort of a riff on Valley of the Dolls. It really has nothing to do with uh, Jacqueline Suzanne's novel, but it's almost a parody. It's almost not. It's very campy. She plays a porn star, I believe, who, you know, she has sex with one of the um, protagonists in a in a Rolls Royce and keeps cooing like there's nothing like a Rolls. Um, so she's sort of known for exhibitionist behavior. Um, she was sort of known as a quote-unquote Hollywood star, like Roger Ebert, actually, who co-wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Which, oh, wow, I did not know that. That's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> He wrote this great profile of her for the Washington Post, sort of explaining how this idea of the Hollywood starlet, somebody who was not necessarily famous, but always on the cusp of fame, sort of in the studio system would like sort of hold this strange role where, you know, very beautiful, but almost always a bit player. Um, and how Edie was almost one of the last of the Hollywood starlets, because obviously her career traversed the period when the studio system was disappearing in the 60s. And she had this transition of going to both Cannes and the Oscars every year, basically just like wearing almost nothing. I mean, like her looks included, she wore like a bikini and a big like animal per for coach the Oscars one year. Sometimes she'd do sort of rescue animal advocacy. She'd bring dogs. She she brought a couple of dogs in the Oscars red carpet. The year I write about um, in 86, which is actually the same year as Cher's crazy look, uh, she wore basically pearls. Like, I'd say it's like a string of pearls that are fully dangling on her. Um, mm -hmm. So you can 100% see her nipples. And she kept attending the Oscars, I believe, like, through 
I want to say it was like through the seventies and the nineties. Like she showed up a lot. She was always on, she was on the red carpet, sort of one of those Hollywood characters that you don't think about a lot um, anymore. Sort of along the lines of like maybe somebody like Angeline, who was, if you don't know her, was sort of like famous in LA for being famous. She had all these billboards around and, you know, she, her looks would get, you know, poo-pooed and people would like raise their eyebrows, but some people just like cheered because like, do it girl. (laughs) Honestly, hell yeah. If you're going to do it, you know, it predates a lot of like the behavior that we see now and sort of in terms of reality TV stars, it was just on the Oscar stage with 19 people. It's still sort of almost shocking. For sure. I was fascinated by her and I went back and I read that bit like a couple times. I'm like, who is this person? And then I started tumbling down the internet rabbit hole of like looking her up and, and looking up photos. So listeners, please, please do, please do go and look up Edie Williams and that's E-D-Y Williams. Um, and, and you'll see exactly what she was wearing on the red carpet. Esther, your book focused largely on women actors and what they chose to wear to the Academy Awards, but you also have all of these fun kind of like vignettes inserted all the way along. Um, You talk about some of the musicians who performed at the Academy Awards. You also talk about some of the child actors who were there, nominated, and won. Um, And of course, the gentlemen as well. I was most charmed by Tatum O'Neill's appearance in 1974. She's amazing. She's a survivor. What was unique and significant about Tatum's win at that time, particularly like her tender age? So she's the youngest Academy Award winner ever, um, still to this day. And she wore a little tuxedo. um, Oh, so cute. Which is very cute. It was also, I found something sort of, fascinating and it, Nolan Miller's son of tuxedo. Um, I found something fascinating and a little sad about it as well. Um, she really wanted to emulate Bianca Jagger, who her father, famous asshole, Ryan O'Neill had an affair with at the time. Um, so she was really a kid thrust into this adult world and she's really sort of playing the part in the moment. It's very cute. It's very like, it, it does look like a kid, but it almost looks like a kid wearing grown up clothes um, that I always found really fascinating. And then the child section, I really tried to like look at the way that in the odd times that kids are dominated, they're sort of forced to straddle this strange line between, a, you know, childhood and adulthood. Um, and with Tatum, who, who had a very sad childhood, it, it really stands out. Um, and her choice is almost very striking to me. Yeah. Or, or even, or even if she even had a choice, because I would guess that she didn't. She did. Her? She wanted, okay. she did want to wear the tux. Like that was very much her choice. She said, she said that she, again, she was emulating Bianca Jagger. She thought a tux would be really cool, but you know, her father, she writes in a memoir, her father punched her when he found out that they were, cause they started in the movie that she won for paper moon together. He punched her when he found out that she was nominated and he wasn't, he wasn't at the awards ceremony. Her sort of grandparents were there and it's, it's, it's strange. Um, and surreal. Yeah. I mean, uh, more than strange. And and I think Tatum has been very open about this throughout her entire life. If, if any of our listeners want to learn more, she's, she's discussed her childhood quite openly. So speaking of tuxes, 
Let's talk about some experimentations in menswear that we have seen in recent years that push far beyond the traditional tux. I love it. I'm here for it. It's like, to me lately, and, 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 and this isn't just the Oscars. It's like all of these red carpet things. For me, it's been some of the dudes that have been winning lately. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so um, who are some of your favorite attendees in the most recent years in terms of menswear? So I debated whether or not to like sort of include men in the main thrust of the book, um, but I really wanted... I, I, I found it sort of more revealing to talk primarily about women and how women have been regarded, um, especially because they're such a added sort of lens. But I obviously wanted to address menswear. Um, and I really think in recent years, I sort of had 2018 as a really like sea change moment because that was the year that Chadwick Boseman wore this Givenchy long tuxedo coat with like this embroidered silver shoulder design um, that was just like, and David Yerman jewelry, and it was so beautiful and so cool. It was also the same year that Adam Rifon showed up in a Jeremy Scott Harness. Um, S&M inspired, we should say. S&M, yeah, very much S&M inspired. And I think it just sort of like, it's not that they were the first ever, but like it then sort of, I think, spiraled from there. Like I obviously, Billy Porter's tuxedo gown um, that he wore when he was also hosting the red carpet, I thought was like incredible. Um, Spike Lee is always great on the red carpet. Um, I love that the following year, Jason Momoa and this like velvet pink tuxedo. Which that has to be a lot of fabric. He is a very large human being. <laughs> He's very large. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, men are showing up. And David Oyelowo always looks amazing um, whenever he's there. I think like menswear is really changing and really stepping up his game. And for so many years, like Oscar menswear was pretty traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, whose tux are you wearing? Is it yeah. is it Tom Ford or is it Armani? Like, and that was the discussion of it all. <laughs> when guys would like sort of diverge, it was sort of like, oh, maybe the, the tailoring isn't quite right. It's like not quite there yet. Like they don't, there's something that's not working. Like Robert Downey Jr. ends up on a lot of like worst dressed of Oscar lists for like early Robert Downey Jr. for wearing these sort of like scarfy situations. Will Smith and Russell Crowe, same for wearing these sort of like tuxedo jackets. Um, but I really just feel like the tailoring in the sense of like, style wasn't there, I think possibly because we were less flexible in terms of gender fluidity in how we presented and and how, so like the, yeah, I just feel like it wasn't as sharp. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's basically the fact now it's like, it's okay to turn up the volume on menswear and and very much appreciated on the red carpet. If there's anywhere to do it, I mean, everyone can do it in their daily life, but like also let's see it on the red carpet too. So at the beginning of the book and also at the tail end of the book, you kind of like book end your entire discussion of what we've been talking about today by saying that you feel the Academy Awards are, quote, slow to progress and that they often uphold old-fashioned ideas of what Hollywood is supposed to look like, white, wealthy, and unadventurous. So this is the part where I ask you again what you're hoping to see on the 2022 Oscar red carpet, which is coming this Sunday. 
So I've already said my healthcare daughter, Gaga, please do it. I love you. I mean, honestly, I've said, I, I think this will, year will be interesting. Um, I do think that after a somewhat subdued year last year, because it was a sort of COVID Oscars, that people are going to be more actively embraced glam and also more viewers will have seen the movies perhaps because like for me for me at least the last couple years I hadn't seen a lot of the movies so I felt less engaged to actually watch if that makes any sense yeah totally I think in terms of like I'll start with the men um I will say like I think our sort of our 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 list of male nominees is maybe not like the most adventurous I hope Sir Andrew Garfield he's been playing around with some interesting ideas in this lead up in terms of the women I mean I I've said this before um I am so excited to see what Kristen Stewart wears um I think she she has showed up to the Critics Choice Awards in oh my god because it wasn't Chanel was Dolce. Like she wore this like very, I mean, she actually, it was, it was actually very old Hollywood glam, but it was also like fully displaying like all of her tattoos and the way she wore it made it look like almost punk. Like, and that's what I sort of like love about her is that she's able to make high fashion her own. So I'm like so excited to see what she wears to the ceremony. I think people are going to look very glamorous. I do think one of the, an interesting thing is that, like, for instance, in terms of how the red carpet's going to play out, because of the changes that they're making to the ceremony, where they're going to, like, start the ceremony earlier, where they'll give out some um, awards in below-the-line categories. You know, Jessica Chastain, who might win for Best Actress for the Eyes of Tammy Faye, has said she's not walking the red carpets. It means she can't be inside to support her hair and makeup team when their award is called, because obviously that was such a crucial part of her performance as Tammy Faye Baker. So obviously we'll see what she wears, but if she she might not actually do the red carpet hoopla. And it'll be interesting to see if anyone else follows suit sort of in protest of the way that the sort of structure of the awards is changing. Yeah. No, I mean, that is incredibly amazing and supportive. And, you know, it it speaks volumes and in terms of like the connectivity to not just the person that we see on screen, but the entire support teams and staff behind the one or two or three people that are like the, the leading actors in a film. There are hundreds of people behind that. And that is actually what Cass has done, my co-host, for a huge portion of her life. So she knows a lot about that. Yeah. Esther, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fascinating deep dive into Oscar fashion history. If people want to order a copy of your book, where can they find it? And also read more on your writing on entertainment topics. So you can find my book at all your major online booksellers. Um, you, you know the ones, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, all of the above. <laughs> support, if you want to support your local indie, please do. And you can find me on Twitter at EasyWrites. And you can find my writing. I write. I am a senior entertainment writer at Phyllis.com. So you can find all my writing there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Esther, thank you so much for joining us to share your research on Oscar history and the fashions, which were such a big part of creating the glitz, glam, and reputation of these celebrations. In April, as you two discussed, the Academy definitely has some work to do in terms of acceptance and representation. But that being said, we also cannot ignore the impact of what the Oscar winners have worn on the red carpet in terms of fashion history. Dress listeners, we'll be chilling on the couch alongside many of you on Sunday with some popcorn to, you know, check things out. And and perhaps a dog. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm on the couch, there's usually a dog there too. (laughs) Yeah, super excited to see. It's always one of my favorite events of the year just to see what people are wearing. And this year will be no exception as we all tune into the 94th Academy Awards. What does it have in store for us for red carpet looks? So that does it for us this week, dress listeners. May you consider where glam resides in your closet next time you get dressed. Remember, we love hearing from you. So if you'd like to write to us, you can do so at dress at iheartmedia.com or you can DM us at Instagram, which is where we post images to accompany each week's episode. And you can always find us there at dressed underscore podcast. Thank you, as always, to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.